Let's pray. We're, we're talking about worship this morning, and then we're going we're gonna to worship. So that's why we had a more abbreviated set at the beginning, and we'll have a more lengthy set at the end. So let, let's pray. Father, you know how much I need your help. Um, unless you come and help me, this, this won't be uh, of any lasting benefit. And thank you that you, you promised to come whenever we call upon you in truth. So come to me and give me the heart and the wisdom and um, an outpouring of your spirit. And come to us, Lord. Give us ears to hear, really hear, and eyes to see and to really see who you are. And that this morning would turn a corner in each of our lives in our individual times of prayer in worship and our corporate times um, of worship. So do this, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. This has been a really good series on prayer. Um, just the way the Lord's worked in, in my heart. And I've been hearing reports that your hearts have been stirred to pray too. So we've covered um, seeking God from Psalm 63 and then waiting on God from Psalm 25. That, that one just hit me very powerfully. Uh, confessing sin, Psalm 51. Um, asking God from Psalm, um, what was it, 86. Lamenting. I know many of you have shared about how the Lord's used that, Psalm 22. Interceding before God for others from Psalm 67. And then declaring truth about God to God from Psalm 119. And then last week was thanking God from Psalm 107. So this morning we want to bring this series to a conclusion by talking about um, worshiping God. Worship. And the psalm I want us to focus on is Psalm 145. So go ahead and turn there. Psalm 145. If you need a Bible, we'd like you all to be able to, to follow along with us as we go through this psalm. So raise your hand. Don't be bashful. We want to bring you a Bible that you can, can look at. Psalm 145. It's on page 524 in the Bibles that we're passing out, by the way. All right. So this psalm was written by David. And uh, there's some ways that David was not like us, and there's some ways that he was like us. Um, he wasn't like us in that he was a king with you know, power and authority and clout that none of us have. So that's the way he's different from us. But as king, that would have meant he would have experienced like a lot of pressures and uh, time demands um, and responsibilities and obligations. So we can all relate to that. We've got pressures and time demands and responsibilities and obligations. We also know from reading um, in the scriptures that he was tempted, just like we are. So he was, he was tempted. We know there are times when he was tempted and resisted the temptation. There are times when he was tempted and didn't resist temptation. So David was a man with pressures, responsibilities, obligations, temptations, victories, and failures. And the question I want to ask is, in the mix of all that, what did David experience in his heart towards God? And we can see that in verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 145. Here's what he says. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. 
Can I notice three key words in verses 1 and 2 which show us what's happening in his heart? First, he says that he extols God, which is a Hebrew word meaning you, you lift something up. And so what David is saying here is that he sees that God is infinitely greater than anything else in existence. He sees that, and so he lifts God up in his heart to the highest place in his affections. He extols God. Second word, he blesses God, blesses God's name. And what that means is to, to speak blessing to God means that you, you want his purposes to go ahead. You, you love the idea of all peoples praising him. You're speaking that you, you want to see everyone magnifying and praising his infinite greatness. You're blessing God. And then the third word is he praises God. Similar to blessing God has the connotation that he loves to see and to proclaim God's infinite, unsurpassed, unsearchable greatness. So that's what's going on in David's heart. What he's experiencing is worship. This is worship right here. He is seeing God's infinite greatness. He's loving the fact that God is infinitely great. He's loving the ways that God is infinitely greater than everything else. And he's feeling such joy in in God's infinite greatness that he lifts God up to the highest place in his affections and priorities and passions. And he declares that God is infinitely, unsearchably great. That's, That's worship. That's what we're talking about this morning. Think about it like this. David looks at at all of reality, everything that's out there, this level of greatness. And he looks at God who's way up there in greatness. Just like can't even see the top of the building. Okay? That's how David feels. And he, he looks up and he sees all that makes God infinitely great. He loves thinking about beholding, praising God's infinite greatness. That's what's happening in David's heart here. That's what we're talking about this morning. Worshiping God. Okay, now, some of you probably at this point are feeling like the plane's taken off and you're back you know, in the, in the line because you may be saying, I'm not even sure I believe in God at this point. Okay, and you're like talking about worshiping God. I'm still way back here. Um, first of all, we're glad you're here if you... Don't believe in God's existence yet. And our longing is that you would come to know God in the person of Jesus. He is who we are all about. And uh, thanks for being here. But let me just throw out a couple of comments. Not that this is going to like change your mind in you know, three or four or five sentences, but maybe it'll give you enough to hang in with us through the rest of this morning. Okay? Just think about this. I was reading a book that talked about this just two weeks ago. Consider that Everything that exists came from one or two sources. Either something personal, right? A personal being, God. Or if not, then something impersonal. Only two options, right? Everything that exists either came from something personal, God, or something impersonal. Okay, now, think of what we know exists out there. Like personhood, and meaning and beauty. Think of things like, you know, that there's right and that there's wrong. There's love. 
Now, it's really hard to account for the existence of those things if everything came simply from random combinations of base elements. Do you feel anything of that? So I would just throw that out there to see if maybe, at least you would say, okay, maybe it's plausible that there's a God. Maybe you're not totally there yet, but okay. Maybe there's, maybe there's, maybe it's possible that there's a God. So just, just think about that and hang in with us. Now David knew that God existed. David, who wrote this psalm, knew God personally. He had experienced God's presence firsthand. It's like everyone does who, who comes to trust Jesus. Now they're in the New Testament time period. And David had experienced God's mighty works in his own life. He'd seen God work again and again and again in powerful, gracious, amazing ways. And David had read what he had of the scriptures, portion of the Old Testament, and seen that God had created everything. And he'd seen how God had called Abraham and how God had miraculously provided for food for Israel through Joseph in Egypt and how God, through mighty signs and wonders, had delivered Israel from Egypt. And so David, David had read about all of God's mighty works. So David knew God, knew who God was, knew what God was like. And, and so David compared God with everything else that existed. And he might have thought something like this. Okay, God has always existed from eternity past, no beginning. God has always existed. Everything else was created by God. That's a massive difference. Then David might have thought, God is entirely self-sufficient. He doesn't depend upon anything else for his being. Everything else that exists entirely depends upon God for its being. Massive difference. Are you feeling? I mean, the, the gap between everything else and God is huge, right? I mean, David might have thought, according to the scriptures, what he'd experienced, I mean, God is perfectly righteous, flawlessly good, faithful, satisfying. Nothing else can make the same claim. Everything else is flawed. And so David sees that God is infinitely great. And he loves the fact that God is infinitely great. And he loves all that it is about God that makes him just infinitely greater than anything else. And because of that, he puts God in the highest place in his affections, the highest place in his heart, and he delights in extolling God, proclaiming God's infinite greatness. That's, that's what worship is. Can I, I wanted to try to illustrate this from just an everyday real life experience or story. So a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, in the office of, of a, a small business owner in the neighborhood here. And we were talking, I've, I've been dropping by and we've been talking about Jesus and it's been, it's been some good times. But this particular morning we were just, you know, doing small chit chat stuff. And, uh, and he wanted to tell me about his motorcycle. 
And so I, all I know about motorcycles is basically Harleys. So not that I know about Harleys, just because I know some of you have Harleys. Okay, so I said, do you got a Harley? He says, oh, no. And he pulls out a picture. He says, I've got a Buell. Okay? And for the next few minutes, he was extolling and blessing and praising Buell motorcycles. And I was just so, the joy and the pleasure, and I saw the picture, I said, whoa. I kind of got swept up a little bit in it too. Um, and, And I could hear it in his voice and see in his eyes, he was feeling sheer pleasure and joy as he was describing you know, the 1225cc liquid-cooled V-twin, I don't even know what this is, engine, okay? <laughs> All right. Which, which, like 165 horsepower at 8900 RPM, I guess that's, that's good. And, and then he, as he described that they're built, though, to hug sharp turns at extremely fast speed. Okay? Now, he was extolling and blessing and praising Buell Motorcycles, And what he was feeling as he was doing that is what we all feel whenever we extol and praise and bless something. He was feeling sheer pleasure and joy and delight. Now here's the point. We are all wired, the way God has made us, to find our highest joys in beholding greatness. Whether it's a Buell motorcycle or a Harley, okay, just... Than there for those of you Harley people, or whether it's a sunset, or whether it's you know what just the, the different things that God has created. We were created to find our highest joys in beholding greatness. And there's nothing wrong with those as long as we let those take us to the one who's behind all of those, so that our highest praise goes to him, right? All right. But the point I want you to understand is that we are all wired to find our highest joys in beholding greatness. That's your highest joy. That's what sports are about. That's what replays are all about. Ah, what a catch. Awesome. Extol, bless, praise, joy, right? Thank you, Lord, for football and athletes. All right, you're glorious. You're awesome. You you take it right to the source. But so if we're wired to find our highest joy in beholding greatness, then since God has infinite greatness, when we behold his greatness, infinite greatness, and love his infinite greatness, and love everything that makes him infinitely great, and speak to him as infinite greatness, that's the highest joy for humans. That is your highest joy. I just told you, because God's word says, if you want to know what's going to make me happy, that's it. Secret of life revealed here for free. There you go, okay? That's it. And I want you to notice how strong David's pleasure in God was. Notice what he says in verse 2. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. So David is feeling such pleasure and joy in extolling, blessing, and praising God that he says, I want to do this every day forever. Now, can you just get a little taste of what David's feeling here? We're asking the question, what is David experiencing in his heart towards God? That's what he's experiencing. 
Hey, now, look inside your own heart. Hey, what do you experience in your heart towards God? What's going on in there? I mean, I would guess, if, if we're honest, some of us would admit that they've never experienced anything like that. And others of you might say, well, I've had tastes of that occasionally. And I would guess there's probably others of you who say, I, I've had times like that. But I think it's safe to say that, that all of us, if we ask what's going on in our hearts, we'd say, I'd like more of that. I want more of that. I need more of that. God has more of that. So I thought the next question as I was just pondering this passage was, okay, that's what David's experiencing in his heart. What keeps us from worshiping God in that way? What keeps us from experiencing that? What keeps us from worshiping God? <laughs> now, now, don't misunderstand the question. Okay? I'm, not, I'm not asking, um, you know, what keeps you from going to church or singing songs or, or praying prayers, because you can go to church and sing songs and pray prayers and, and never taste anything near what David's experiencing here, right? I'm talking about what keeps us from worshiping God. What, what keeps us from seeing God's infinite greatness, loving God's infinite greatness, loving everything about God that makes him infinitely great, and lifting him up to the highest place in our affections and delighting in his infinite greatness? What keeps us from that? Now, as I've looked in my heart, here's what I've discovered. When I'm not feeling pleasure and joy in God's infinite greatness, it's because I have dethroned God from his rightful place and elevated something else up above God in my heart. Every time. Every time. I'm seeing something else as more important. I'm worshiping something else. I'm worshiping some idol I put something above God, and that's why I'm not worshiping God. So how can you tell like, what it is that you've exalted above God in your heart? There, there's two questions I found really helpful for me that are, are convicting, but that are helpful. One is, what do I desire the most? What do I desire the most? Second question is, what do I fear losing the most? So, so ask, ask yourself that question. This morning, over this last week, what have you desired the most? What have you feared losing the most? See, that's what you're seeing as most important to you. Because you desire it the most and you fear losing it the most. That is what you see as most important. I don't think anybody could disagree with that. Which means that that is what you've put at the place of preeminence in your heart. Because that's what's most important to you. So that is what you're worshiping. See, we are born to worship. We are always worshiping something. There's always some greatness whose pleasure we're seeking to behold. Always. So when you're not worshiping God in the person of Jesus, it's not that you've turned off the worship switch, it's that you've switched your worship from God to something else. Do you see that? We are worshipers. We are wired to worship. When we turn from God, it's because we're worshiping something else. There's always something preeminent in our hearts that we're trusting to satisfy us, whose greatness we're seeking joy in, whose loss we're deeply fearful of. There's always something that's preeminent in our hearts that we're worshiping. So here's, here's one of the ones I've struggled with over the last couple of weeks. To my shame, I'll tell you, just so you can get a feel of what I'm talking about. Um, 
I love riding my mountain bike. Many of you know that. And I love walking the, the creek trail near our house and praying. Um, and I've got a really bad left knee. I've had two surgeries over the last like 30 years. And the last surgery, the doctor said, mm, not much cartilage left in there. Anyway, so uh, about two months ago, I, I finished my mountain bike ride. My, my left knee was really hurting. And, and that happens before I iced it and it goes away. Didn't go away this time. Kept hurting, kept hurting, kept hurting. So I've had to stop riding my mountain bike and stop walking the creek trail. Um, and to my shame, it's, it's sin, but I want to share this because we can all relate to it, I hope. Over the last couple of weeks, there's been times where what I desired the most was a healthy knee slash mountain bike ride. Okay? There's been times where what I feared the most or was the most discouraged by was not having a healthy knee and not being able to go on a mountain bike ride. Okay? Call me an idiot. Okay? I am one. All right? We all are when we do that. Okay? I mean, fuller preeminent in your life is a mountain bike ride? Call me an idiot, all right? What's yours been? All right? When you, when you tell a group of people about it, it just feels like, well, that really is not so smart, is it? But that was the reality of my heart at various times over the last two weeks. What did I desire the most at various times? What did I fear losing the most at various times? And at those times... I wasn't feeling any pleasure and joy in God's infinite greatness. Well, that should be obvious, right? Because I had dethroned God. I was seeing something else as infinitely great. Mountain bike riding. Having a healthy knee. Okay? Does that make sense? We are all born to worship. We all will always have something in our hearts at every conscious moment that we are worshiping, we're trusting, whose greatness we're seeking, whose loss we're fearing, and that's what we're worshiping. God should be at that place because he's infinitely great, infinitely satisfying. His greatness is what will completely thrill you and fill you. And yet in our sinfulness, we are frequently dethroning God and elevating an idol in his place. Okay, so what have you lifted up over God in your heart? Just ask yourself that. Think about it. What is it? What, what is your idol? What are your idols? I can mention others, okay, for me. What's yours? That's what keeps you from worshiping. That's what keeps me from feeling pleasure and joy in extolling God's infinite greatness. That's what it is. So that's what keeps us from worshiping God. Okay. So I was thinking about how David experiences worship in verses 1 through 3, and I thought, what keeps us from that? The next question that came to my mind was, well, okay, how can our hearts be changed? How can our hearts be changed? And the good news is, they can be. No matter how entrenched that idol feels in your heart, no matter how long it's been there or how, or how strongly you feel like in your heart it's gripping you and won't let go, your heart can be changed because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. The only hope we have, and that's all the hope we need. He's broken the power of idols by dying, and he's paid for the guilt of idol worship. By dying. And so, if you're trusting Jesus right now, your heart can be changed. There's never a time. If you're trusting Jesus, if you're not trusting Jesus, you need to trust him. The cross is the power to change our hearts. The only power that will change our hearts. 
you're trusting Jesus, he will change your heart. Trust him, trust him. If you're trusting him, your heart can be changed. It's just awesome news. I mean, do you feel the hope of that? He will change your heart. He will, he will make you be like David in verses one through three. This will be you, okay? Growing in time, maybe today, this will be you. No matter how far you feel, no matter how long it's been, no matter how entrenched that idol might be, Jesus Christ, by his death on the cross, his resurrection, if you're trusting him, will pay for the guilt of that idol worship and break the power of that idol worship. Okay, how does that happen? This might sound strange. It happens through worship. Through worship. Now you're saying, well, wait a minute. We just asked, what keeps us from worshiping? And then we said we're not worshiping because of idol worship. And now you say the idols are going to get replaced by worship. Chicken and egg, which comes first? Okay, Worship ends with passionate joy in God for his infinite greatness. That's not where it begins. It's not for me most of the time. Okay, Most of the time, I'm not starting here. That's just not happening yet. For me, and I think biblically you can see this in various psalms, and just theologically it makes sense, worship starts for me repenting over my lack of worship. Right. So if that's where worship starts, we can all do that, right? Okay, this is good news. Worship starts with repenting, Father, I'm sorry for my lack of worship. I'm just not seeing it now. It's, it starts with confessing whatever idols I am worshiping. Lord, I'm sorry, I've been so distracted by my need. Just dumb. Free me, help me. I'm sorry, Jesus, forgive me. Through the work of the cross, cleanse me. So I'm repenting and I'm confessing. That's where, where worship starts. And then I'm asking, part of worship also is, Help me. Come, bring your power upon me. Open the eyes of my heart. Soften my heart. Show me your glory. Holy Spirit, give me a heart revelation of the infinite greatness of Jesus, the Holy Son of God. I'm asking for help. So I'm repenting, I'm confessing, I'm asking, and then I'm setting my heart on the infinite greatness of God in Christ as revealed in the scriptures. So I'm, I'm looking at who God is in Jesus, in the scriptures. And I'm, I'm kind of mingling, looking, setting my heart on the truth, and, and asking for help. Help me to see this. I'm not feeling it. Help me. I want to look at this some more. Look at who you are. Help me. And, and as you do that from the heart, I, I, I guarantee you, because of how merciful God is, how gracious he is, you will sense him starting to change your heart. You will start to see that God in Christ is infinitely greater than everything else. You'll start to love his infinite greatness. You'll, you'll, you'll elevate him to the highest place in your heart and dethrone that idol, and you'll be worshiping. It will happen as you're earnest in, in pursuing this. So that's how it works. That's how our hearts can be changed, is through Worship. Worship is war against idols. When you set your heart to worship, the idols in your heart start to tremble because they know destruction is coming. Spirit-empowered, cross-centered, and scripture-soaked worship will destroy the idols in your heart. They will. Worship is war. So in a moment, I want us to have the worship team come up here. 
and we're going to move into some war, okay? But to help us with that first, let's look at verses 4 through 20 in Psalm 145. Because in these verses, David gives us five descriptions of God's infinite greatness. So these are truths that right now we can set our hearts upon. Okay? Repentance, confession, asking for help, and then setting our hearts upon the truth of God mingled with more asking for help. So let's look at these five to prepare our hearts and then we'll move into some worship together and and destroy some idols, tear down some idols. First truth is that God works in everything with power, wonder, goodness, and righteousness. Look at verses 4 through 7 and notice how many times in these verses you'll find the words works, deeds, and acts. Verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Okay, so God works. He's not passive way out there. He's always at work. If you're trusting Jesus, he is always at work 24-7, consciously, constantly, passionately in your life. So, so do this. Just hold up your idol here in your mind's eye and compare your idol and the works it can do with God and the works God can do. Okay, so this is what I did. A healthy knee. That would be a good thing. That, that would be helpful. I would like to ride my mountain bike and, and walk and pray again. But you compare that with what God can do. There's just no comparison. How could I have that be elevated above God? Oh, no, no, no. God. Okay. Or how about money and God? Well, money's, money's a good thing. Um, it's a gift from God, pays our bills. Money can do things, but money can only do, or, or money's totally under God's control, right? All the money in the world is under God's control. So God controls money. So it's foolish to put money in the preeminent place. God's infinitely greater than money, right? Do you feel how that works? It's true with all your idols. Just in your mind, just do like a taste test, like a, you know, a, a Coke and a Pepsi thing. Idle, although it would be much more dramatic, the difference. Um, idle and, uh, and God. So I thought about it like this. Your idol compared to God is like a triple A battery compared to a nuclear power plant. Truth be known. Isn't that true? So wh- why would I have at the highest place of my life a triple A battery? Why? Well, that's what I've done. That's what you've done. Okay, are we doing some dethroning here? Let's work on it. Next truth. I love this. God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and loving. Verses 8 and 9. These are sweet verses. Memorize these verses and memorize the whole psalm. But these verses, memorize them. The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. 
Now just think about God's grace and mercy and love for you. We've worshipped idols. I've worshipped idols. We've rebelled against God. We deserve God's punishment. But God loves us. God cares about you. Do you realize that? And he loves you, us, cares about you so much that he came to the earth in the person of Jesus so he could receive upon himself the punishment we deserve so he could die. God, in the person of Jesus, came to the earth to die so that we as rebels could be restored to the joy of worshiping and knowing him. Now now think of the love and the care that's there in the cross. God sent Jesus, his son, to die so that we could be forgiven. He's gracious. He's merciful. He loves. He cares. Okay, now, how much does your idol care about you? There's no comparison. Third, God's kingdom works continue forever. Verse 10, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. If you're trusting Jesus Christ this morning, then God's all-powerful, unstoppable goodness is moving towards you with great passionate good all the time and will be moving towards you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever forever. God's all-powerful goodness is rushing towards you forever, okay? How long will your idol's works be around? No comparison. Exalt him to the highest place. Fourth, God helps all who call upon him in truth. It's easy for us to think that to receive God's goodness, we have to earn it or deserve it. Okay? What the scriptures teach is that all the earning and all the deserving has already been done by Jesus. He lived the perfectly righteous life we should have lived. And when you trust Jesus, you're connected with all of his earning and all of his deserving. So you don't need to earn or deserve. You can't. Don't even try. It's wrong to try because you won't. You've already blown it. Okay, I have too, right? What we do is we, we turn and we trust. We call upon him in truth. Another way for saying trust. We look to God in the person of Jesus with with. Uh, need and dependency and faith and trust. That's what's going on in verses 14 through 20. Look at what he says. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, just look to you, and you give them their food in due season, looking to God, that's faith. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing that, that looks to, to him. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, kind in all of his works. The Lord is near to all who earn it, no, who call on him. To all who call on him in truth, from the heart, in accord with the scriptures. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him with a deep respect. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love 
like him. So the moment you look to Jesus, call upon him, fear him with deep respect, love him, desire him, without any earning or deserving, but that, at that moment when you're looking to him, calling upon him in truth by faith, he is rushing towards you with infinite power and love and goodness to care for you. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> no idol can even come close to thinking about that, okay? They're just all slinking away in shame. Go! Okay, one more though. One more. God will destroy the wicked. End of verse 20. But all the wicked he will destroy. Here's, here's the point here. I hope this clinches it for you. If you have right now in your heart idols that you don't want to let go, if you have exalted something above God that is not God, is revealed in Jesus Christ, and you're, and you're not going to budge on that for whatever reason, if you don't budge from that, if you continue in that, God will destroy you. He will destroy you. Because you by dethroning him who's rightful, by putting something created, AAA battery in his place, you've profaned his holy name. And in his justice, he will destroy you. You. And I love you. And I need to give an account for you as, as, as one of the elders here. I'm going to make sure you hear this really clearly. Either you call upon Jesus to destroy your idols or God will destroy you for your idols. But if you call upon Jesus to destroy your idols, oh, (laughs) he will destroy them. The cross, the power of Jesus Christ will destroy them. I'm not talking about perfection. We will never be 100% free from idols this side of heaven. I'm talking about battle. I'm talking about help me, Lord. I'm talking about Move upon my heart. Free me from this. Because as you do that, you will progressively see idols and their power lessening from your life. You will never experience perfection before heaven. You'll experience growth in righteousness. But you must experience that. Because God is perfectly just. So please, this morning, dethrone your idols through Jesus' power. Call upon him. And he will. So, here's five truths we've seen about God. What results from these five truths as David goes through them? It's worship, right? See that in verse 21. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. You're looking at these five truths about God and you're you're getting a, a taste. You're seeing. There's all the rest of reality, everything else that is in existence. And then there's God, infinitely great above everything else. And you love him in his infinite greatness. And you love everything about him that makes him infinitely great. And so you gladly put him at the preeminent place in your heart and your pleasure and your joy is extolling him and describing him and praising him. I want to call us as a church to turn a corner in worship. Both... Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., Sunday mornings, 10 a.m., war breaks out at Allen School. War breaks out here at Allen School. 
as we set our hearts upon the Lord and the demons fight back and the idols say no and we say yes and we call upon the Lord and we look at who he is and the Holy Spirit comes to work and he busts them, okay? War breaks out, 10 a.m., Allen School, Sunday mornings. And I hope that when you have time during the week where it's just you and the Father through Jesus by the Holy Spirit praying, where you're doing nothing else but you're just, you're in prayer, that a chunk of that prayer time will be worship, war against the idols in your life. Because if you can spend rich, meaty, powerful, satisfying worship time every day, the demons will be busted and they will be dethroned and God will be preeminent and you will be satisfied because you're always worshiping something. And we've got to take those other things down that tend to creep up. So let's have the worship team come up. Come on up. Bring your weapons. (laughs) And let's pray. And let's ask God to move upon us now as we move into worship together. I'll pray. I praise you for your grace through Christ. Jesus, the power that you unleashed through dying and suffering. Sin, destroying, idol, dethroning power. And guilt, forgiving. Punishment removing, wrath propitiating power through your death on the cross. So as we come to you meaningfully, humbly, with faith, asking you to work, you will work right now. We've all got idols. There's not a heart here that's free from idols. Oh, Lord Jesus, we have tasted of your glory of your presence, those of us who've trusted you have anyway, and we long to experience more of what David experienced here, to see your infinite greatness, to love your infinite greatness, so much that we exalt you back to the rightful place of preeminence in our hearts. Now, if you've never put your trust in Jesus, um, I mean, you just sit and listen and 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 be part of this. But I would urge you not to just do that, but to look to Jesus and to confess and repent with all of us as we do that and ask Jesus to save you and change your heart. And he will. He will. And you'll taste and see that the Lord is good. So Lord, would you come now? We confess our idols. We repent before you. We ask that you'd forgive us through Jesus. And would you come and set us free so we can see and behold and worship your infinite greatness in Christ and be filled with joy in exalting you and blessing you and praising you. So move upon us now, I pray, for the glory of your name. Amen.